John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whomever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. Well, good morning. Um, I want to ask you if you know the difference between VR and AR, virtual reality versus augmented reality. Who thinks they know the difference? Hands up. Between VR and AR. Oh, come on. Seriously? Only like, only a few of you. Okay. I'm just going to do this because I can do it and I'm going to embarrass Marshall. Where are you, Marshall? Come here. Dom, come up here too. Let's just get two of our pastors along. Let's see if uh, Marshall can explain the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality. Have a go, Pastor Marshall. I haven't got a clue. He hasn't got a clue. (laughs) Dom, do you want to see if you can help Marshall out? What's the difference between VR and AR? Uh, One, you can wear goggles, and the other, you play Pokemon Go on. Okay. (laughs) What do you think of that? that? Is that how you would explain it? It's better, isn't it? Okay, have a seat, have a seat. It's better. Okay, let me, um, let me show you uh, what the difference is. So both of them use advanced computer uh, graphics and so on, but augmented reality is computer-generated graphics on top of actual reality, right? So the most famous is, of course, Pokemon Go. Um, but VR, uh, virtual reality, is, is creating or recreating a world completely virtually where you experience often with these big glasses, gloves, and so on. Okay, that's the difference between VR and AR. Um, AR especially is very interesting, augmented reality, not just for gaming's sake, and I know um, Elder Nelson loves to play Pokemon Go, but um, in medicine and uh, surgery, you can actually help doctors operate because you can see, in inverted commas, under the skin. Um, In engineering and education, you overlay instructions to help you interact with the world, calculate, build. Um, Even IKEA has worked out, have you used this app before? You can actually use IKEA app to picture how that furniture would look in your very house using augmented reality. Now, why am I telling you about augmented reality? God's Word isn't virtual reality. God's Word is a little bit like augmented reality. Yeah, God's Word doesn't give you a mythological fantasy world or a separate reality apart from the real world. No, no, no. God's Word is like augmented reality. It augments. It, 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 it gives us a new way of seeing our world so that you see it as you're supposed to see it. You see it as God sees it. So it's the real world. But in some sense, it's more real. It's sort of the opposite of social media and entertainment. Right? It, it seems to present the real world, but actually you'll know with fake news, with um, entertainment often, the world it presents is nothing like the real world. No, God's Word gives you a more real world as God's Word augments your seeing of it. Now today, being uh, a week before Christmas or the Sunday before Christmas, I want to suggest to you that God wants to take the truths of Christmas and use that to augment our reality. He wants us to see the world through Christmas. And when you do see the world through Christmas, you will never see the world the same again. So that's what we're going to do today. So let's pray and let's get into a very famous passage. Let's pray. Father God, only with your Holy Spirit can we really have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, 
and wills to obey. So today I ask that you would, by your Spirit, empower me to speak and that you would really give us new ways, augmented ways of seeing this world that you love so very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we are, we're going to look at a very familiar part of the Bible, John 3.16. It's so famous that often in America, especially in sporting arenas, you'll get people holding signs, John 3.16, and so on. It's the, probably, if you've been to Sunday school, right, from a kid, that's the first verse you'll know to memorize, and many of you probably memorize it. Now, the danger is, because it's so familiar, we're not going to really see it in the same way, and... and And I want us to really see it with fresh eyes because I want through John 3.16 that we might actually see our reality through this verse. So let's have a look at it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. This passage augments our reality in three ways. You can see them on your outline. Number one, that God loves the world and wants to save it. See, did you see the verbs? Yeah, verbs are doing words. What does it say about what God is doing? God loves, God gave, and verse 17, God saves. God loves, God gave, God saves. Now, just, I know it's obvious, but let's let that sink in. God loves, God gave, God saved. See, when it comes to the world, God loves it. God gives to it. God saves it. And here, God's love for the world is so great, not because the world is so big, but because the world is so bad. You see, in John's gospel, John's biography of Jesus, the world is not a neutral term. It doesn't mean planet Earth. The world is a negative term. See, in John chapter 1, verse 10, don't look it up. John says right at the beginning, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That's how the world is used in the Gospel of John. It's the world that God has made and yet rejects him. It's not a neutral term. It's a negative term. Now, you might be thinking, hey, 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 I don't reject God, not in any open way. I haven't even done anything that's really bad. Well, you know what? The opposite of love is not hate, is it? The opposite of love is what? Indifference. Let's admit it. Most Aussies just are indifferent about God in that we just don't care. We don't reject God openly, but we ignore God. We treat Him like some sort of genie in a bottle that we rub when we need help. But other than that, we just ignore Him. Can you imagine for a moment if you treated your spouse or your parents the way that we treat God? And yet, God loves, God gives, God saves. And we need to let that change or augment our reality. The way that we see the world and we see people in the world has got to be affected by that. Because here's the thing, we are tempted, aren't we, to see God's relationship with the world as the opposite of what John 3.16 is teaching us. Some of us think that God is just indifferent about the world. The world is indifferent about Him. Well, it's because God is indifferent about the world. He just doesn't care. He withholds. He stands at a distance. Or some even, and and often this is the case where people think Christians, and we've sometimes really misrepresented ourselves and God, is that God is primarily judging and condemning the world. Isn't that true? How we often think. 
Well, you know, Jesus' famous story, his, his parable about the lost son or, or the prodigal son. Um, if you don't know it, it it's about uh, two sons. The younger son decide to, decides to squander his inheritance, basically tell his dad to drop dead, take everything, and he goes and parties, and he brings shame and dishonor to himself, his whole family, um, until he has nothing. And then at that point, he realizes that he's done wrong, and he's desperate, and he wants to go back. And you remember the story, right? The youngest son, the best he could hope for was that his father would be forgiving enough to let him live in the house as a servant. That's the best he could hope for, right? That his father would just let him survive because he was about to die. He could never have imagined that when he headed back, his father would not only just be happy to let him survive as a a servant, that his father was actually waiting out for him, that his father was actually willing to welcome him with open arms and love him and shower him with love. You remember the story, right? I mean, imagine if this, the younger son knew that about his father when he was contemplating going, going back. He wouldn't have been so hesitant. He wouldn't have been so scared because his father was welcoming, waiting, loving now you compare that with the other son in the story. Remember his older brother, who after his younger brother comes back, is really unhappy because the older brother's view of the father is what? Is a father who is harsh and stingy and ungenerous and unloving and ungiving and unforgiving. And the sons actually reflect, don't they, completely different views of God in his relationship with the world. And I wonder what your view is. Are you more like the older son as you think about God's relationship with this world is primarily no? Or do you get the reality of John 3.16 that God's primary view of his world is yes? Yes! Because he loves, he gives, he saves. We need to let that augment our reality as we look in the world. Because here, here's the thing, right? What, is, what do you think of most people's default position? as they interact with the world and the people of the world around them. Are you just thinking about all the people that you come across this year, you came across this year, or even week by week? Think about all the people you come across um, at your schools or universities or colleges, at your workplaces, even on the trains and buses, the people that, you, that go past you on the streets, in the shops, in the neighborhoods, even people that you see from a distance, like online, social media, or you, you, you read about in the news. Right? What is your default position to people? I'll tell you what our default position to people is. It's judgment. Now, judgment comes in a couple of ways. There's what I call hard judgment and soft judgment. And I think for most of us, it's not necessarily hard judgment. Okay? Hard judgment is um, we, we, we see people with condemning eyes. We judge them. We're judgmental. Now, we do that with some people. Don't I mean, you read about people on the news, maybe as you look through Facebook, Instagram, you do sometimes, don't you? Condemn and judge people, right? First impressions. No, I don't like that person. But I think for a lot of us, it's not hard judgment, but we do soft judgments. Well, that is, we have to, we, we make quick judgments about whether or not we would even engage with someone or move towards someone in conversation or friendship. You just think about all the people that you come across day by day, week by week, year by year, why is it that you engage with some and not others? Do you ever think of that? The people you go to uni with, school with, work with, why some colleagues and some people, classmates, and not others? 
It's because we actually make a judgment, what we call soft judgment, right? We make a decision about people. And now what's that decision based on? Whether or not I would you know, move towards them, whether I would interact with them or just ignore them. Well, generally we make these judgments based on whether or not that person will add to my life. Isn't that right? Will they add to my life? Whether me taking the time or the effort or the energy to interact with them or befriend them is worth it. Do they add to my life? Now, I think for the most of us, we don't do it in a sort of crass way. Will they give me money or return favors? I don't think we mean that. But, like, will they add to my life in terms of joy? Right? We kind of Marie Kondo them, if you know what I mean. Right? Do they spark joy in my life? Or maybe, does it look like a potential friend? Do we have enough in common? Or give me some level of warmth or interest? They're not going to be a complete bore. Or something, we always, that we make that judgment, soft judgment, will they add to my life? But the point is, our stance to the world and to people in the world, isn't it by default judgment? Sometimes hard judgment, mostly soft judgment. But the whole point is, my reference point is what? Me. Now, I really felt that when um, Karen and I celebrated our 20th anniversary, we had a week in Phuket in Thailand. And when you go on holidays, you're obviously going to come across lots and lots of fellow tourists. We had heaps of them at our resort. We also came across lots and lots of local Thai people. Phuket is really, really busy, really, really uh, touristy. And I found that, yes, there's some people that I would interact with, some people I didn't. The people I interacted with seemed like nice people. You know, have a chat to them, try and get to know them. And some people I just, you know, didn't really feel like I needed to. But then there are some, and if you know anything about Thailand, especially the touristy areas of Phuket, which we went to, or Bangkok even more so, some you would stay right away from, yeah? Whether they're fellow tourists or local Thais. Because, you know, some of those areas are really quite red light, if you know what I mean. They're really unsavory people there for unsavory reasons. And so we make judgments about them. I will stay right away from them. I know what he's here for, right? She looks like her. Do you know what I mean? I found myself doing that all the time. My basic stance towards people was mostly soft judgment, but sometimes hard judgment. But here it is, right? And I hope you get what I mean, and I hope you see yourself doing this, because here's the thing. Once we understand Christmas, and once we really understand God's attitude to the world, that his attitude to the world is to love, to give, to save. That has to change our attitude to the world and its people, right? As we look out on the world and its people, they are not objects of my judgment, whether hard or soft, and certainly not objects of my condemnation. Because even God, who has every reason to condemn the world who's rejected him, verse 17, you saw it there, right? He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. No, the world and its people is a world that God loves so very much. As I look out in the world, I am not to see people in reference to me. Do they add to me? No, no, no. I am to see every single soul as a person in reference to God and His love for them. Do you see what I mean? How important is that to augment the way we see Every single person that we come across. And the second thing, let's go to that. So the first thing we saw that needs to augment our reality, God loves the world and wants to save it. The second, God's gift to the world is His only Son. 
Now, when John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, the so there does not mean so much, like he loved the world so much. It is true, he does love the world so much. But that meaning of so in the original is a lot clearer. It means in this way. Okay, God so loved the world or God loved the world in this way. So what way are we talking about here? Well, John 3.16 tells us, he gave his one and only son. See, God's love for the world is not just sentimental love, it's sacrificial love. Uh, You see that in a passage like Romans 5, verse 8. Don't turn to it. It's another famous passage. For God demonstrated, He showed His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there it says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, or more literally, older translations would have only begotten Son. That does not mean that Jesus is the Son that God the Father has given birth to or has created. It's what the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons believe, that Jesus was uh, created right, as a lesser God or a lesser deity. That's not what it means there, because the Bible says there is only one God, but He is a complex one, not a simple one. In other words, one God in Trinity, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, And each person of the Trinity in the one Godhead has always existed. The Son was not created or given birth to by the Father, but He was always the Son. Okay, That's a quick summary of what the Bible teaches about God's oneness. And so the phrase, one and only, or only begotten Son, actually means here, the unique Son, or the special Son. And to really understand that, you have to see that it parallels a really famous story in the Old Testament Bible. It's the story of Abraham in Genesis 22. Don't turn to it. Um, those of you, some of you might be familiar with it. In Abraham 22, God tests Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. He tests Abraham by asking Abraham to take, and this is the words, literally, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him on the mountain. It's a test, okay? Right? But it's the same phrase. Take your son, your only son. Now, note this, though. If you know about Abraham and Genesis, Isaac, at that point, was not Abraham's only son. Yeah? Who was Abraham's first son? You don't know? Ishmael. Right? But Ishmael was the illegitimate son. Ishmael was not the son of the promise, but some, the, the son that Abraham and Isaac schemed to, to get, you know, apart from God's promises, apart from a miracle. Isaac was the son of the promise. He was the chosen son. He was the unique son, the beloved son, the precious son, the heir. That's, why, that's what we mean here by the only son, do you see? But let's keep going with this story in Genesis 22 because it's really so moving. And again, it's the background to John 3.16. So God tests Abraham, says, take your only son whom you love, this miracle child, the promised one, and you take him and you sacrifice him on a mountain to me. And and the, the amazing thing is Abraham obeys. And if you read Genesis 22, you'll see that at that point, the story kind of slows right down. The story time slows down. And you almost imagine that Abraham is there with his boy Isaac, and they're walking step by step up on a mountain. And he's thinking all this time, I'm going to have to kill my own son, my precious only son. And and even more kind of moving is he places the wood 
that he would use for the burnt offering because he was going to offer Isaac in a, in a fire. He puts it on Isaac, so Isaac has to carry the wood of his own sacrifice, except he doesn't know that it's going to happen to him. And then along the way, you see Isaac asking, well, here's the wood for the sacrifice, but where's the animal for sacrifice? And can you imagine a father's heart breaking at that point? Your boy, you know what's going to happen to him. How do you answer him? Swallowing back tears, Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And he still thinks, I'm going to have to sacrifice my only son, my precious son. But of course, when they get to the place of sacrifice, all is revealed. As Abraham is about to plunge the knife into his son, his only son, Isaac, the Lord reveals it's just a test, right? Because God is not into human sacrifice. It was a test, a test that Abraham loved God more than he loved God's gift. And so God stops Abraham and instead provides a substitute, a lamb caught in the thicket. And Abraham is able to sacrifice that instead of Isaac. Now, here's the thing, right? Come back to John 3.16. Remember, I think that is in the background of John 3.16. What is this John 3.16 saying? When God gave his one and only son, it is saying this, that what God did not require Abraham to do, God himself did. You got that? That God gave his most precious, most unique, most beloved son. Think for a moment. How loved is Jesus the Son? How much does God the Father, from eternity to eternity, how much has He delighted in the Son? I don't think we can ever get our heads around it, but I'll, I'll give you one glimpse. The New Testament tells us that the world was created for Jesus. Just think about that. The world was created for Jesus. Have you ever thought about how extravagant our world is, our natural world? Right? Um, You know, we're talking about virtual reality or even computer games, you know, when they create a reality. The best games are known for their detail. Some of the games you play and some of the more modern games, right? There's so much detail in them, plants, animals, you know, things. But it can't even compare with the detail in the world. Like you just thought about how many species of animals we haven't even discovered are in the world. How many human languages there are. Why is it that every snowflake is different? The sights, the sounds of the world, it's extravagant. It's almost wasteful. And then you think about the universe and how big the universe is. You know, we have billions of galaxies, which means there's trillions of stars. Each star is like the sun in our solar system, but there's trillions of them. Did it have to be so big? Did it have to? I mean, did God have to make so many? Why so extravagant? Why so over the top? I'll tell you why. The Bible says it's because it was made for Jesus, the son. God the Father loves God the Son so much, he made an extravagantly glorious universe, almost wasteful. And he's like, this is for you because I love you so much. This is why those mountains, those species, those, the things that marvel. My other creatures, humans, angels, I did it for you, Jesus, because that's how much I love you, my son. And here's the thing, yet God gave up his son, the son he loves, the son he's so proud of, the son he is so enamored with, 
so delighted with God, gave him up. And he did what he would not ever ask anyone else to do. You, me, or Abraham. He gave up his only son. And of course, you know, he made this son, Jesus, carry, like Isaac, carry the wood for his own execution to the place of death. Only with Jesus, God did not stop the sacrifice. The son carried his cross and went all the way so that he could die the death that we deserved for our rebellion and our rejection against God. And he did that willingly, by the way. It wasn't just the father ordered him and he had to. No, no. It was a plan that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did together. And so you see, Abraham's story was just a preview. And this is why God tested Abraham. And it was a unique event because it was a unique preview pointer to what God would ultimately do through his own son, Jesus. His only son, his beloved son. Now, how does that augment our reality? Remember, coming back, this is what we need to do. These familiar verses, I haven't told you anything new, probably. But how does it augment your reality? Well, it totally changes and redefines what life is about, doesn't it? See, life is not about what I get from the world I live in. That certainly applies to the planet, the resources of our natural world. It's not for us to use and exploit and profit from. Every Christian should care about the environment. But mostly, people are not for me, for us to exploit and use. And certainly, I must not Marie Kondo people. They are not defined by what they add to me or whether they spark joy in me. Do you see? Life is defined by love. Not sentimental, emotional, fleeting love, but love shown by sacrifice. Because real love, as God has shown it, is not you for me, it's me for you. Now, some of us here right now feel and know just how painful it is to really love people. Because it is hard, isn't it? Loving people. And we often get hurt the most by people we're trying to love the most. It's hard. Relationships are difficult. Friendships are difficult. Conflict is painful. Forgiveness is costly. Reconciliation is very hard. People can use us, can take our love for granted. Some of you here, you are in the process of just wanting, it's just too hard, I want to pull back. The more I give, the more it hurts. I want to stop. May I gently encourage you to let the truth of Christmas augment your reality. See, whatever it is that you and I are called to sacrifice in our love for others cannot possibly compare with what God the Father did for us in sacrificing Jesus. So let that augment your reality as you look at the people that are hard to love. Will you keep loving them even when it's impossibly hard? Because of Christmas, life is now defined by that kind of love. Generous, self-giving sacrifice.
That's got to be our reality. The last of all, and thirdly, John 3:16 and 17 reminds us that anyone can be saved. It says, whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish and have eternal life. The key word is whoever. Whoever means anyone. Whoever means no boundaries as to background, race, language, gender, age. Whoever means no limitations on how far someone has gone, how bad they are, how religious they are or not. Whoever means anyone and everyone. Let that sink in. Anyone can be saved. No one needs to perish. See, Jesus' death had no conditions or limitations in terms of who you are or what you might have done. And you see that in Jesus' life, right? He, he, he called both the religious and the non-religious, both the moral and the completely immoral, those who are loved by others as well as those who are hated by others, those who are Jews as well as those who are non-Jews. He called everyone. And anyone and everyone who, the next key word in that verse, who believes, right? Believe is, is not just believing in your head. It's actually to, to put your trust, right? Put your trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for their sins. And because of that trust, follow Him as Lord. Now, anyone who believes can have eternal life. And there are no boundaries, no limitations, no conditions, ifs or buts. Now, above all, we do need to let that augment our reality, doesn't it? I mean, there, there is no one so far gone that God does not love them and want to save them and can. And there is no one so far gone that they cannot turn back to God, believe in Jesus, and be saved. Not even that person you think is most tragically evil or lost. Not even that person you've tried to share the good news of Jesus with, but who is just so resistant, so hardened for so long. Not even that person. So for a moment, I want you to picture who those people are in your lives. Do you see it in your mind? Who are those people in your life where you're thinking, no, not them, it's never going to happen, it's too hard. Because we may need to today repent of our attitude with respect to their salvation. Because we may have ruled them out. And John 3.16 tells us whoever believes. Or maybe that today you are that person. I don't know. If you're coming for a while, maybe today you've wandered into church for the first time. You're thinking, yeah, it's not for me. I can't see myself doing this. No, it is for you. Or you may be thinking, I, no way God could accept me, not after what I've done. And God's saying to you, yes, you. Today, you can have eternal life. This is for you. You just need to believe and trust in Jesus and follow him. So let me conclude. Christmas, does it change anything? Oh, yes, it changes everything, right? If you let the reality of Christmas augment your reality, it changes everything. This year, superimpose John 3, 16 and 17 on the way that you see the world in every single person you come across. God loves, God gives, God saves. Now, most of you are Christians, followers of Jesus. I mean, obviously, 
Obviously, how can you hold and withhold this news from everyone? How can you just hold it to yourself? I mean, this Christmas, how can you not, with all the commercialism of Christmas, how can you not cry out to a world that only sees the commercialism, the buying, the holidaying, the celebrating, that there is so much more than what God wants to say to them at Christmas? How can you not want to say, look, world, God loves you. He gave His only precious Son for you. He wants to save you. Followers of Jesus, are you passionate about the world knowing what God has done for them? Now at Southwest, at our church, we are starting now, Christmas, and all the way into 2020 because we want to help you to be able to. So it's not too late to invite people along to the two Christmas events. You know about it already, but I want to preview something else. In February next year, we have an invitation month. And for three Sundays of February, we have three big questions that we're going to tackle. February 9th, where can I find peace in an anxious world? February 16th, what am I missing in life? February 23rd, how can I be fully known and fully loved? Now, these are designed for you to be able to ask your friends, not just to come along, but here's a nice way in. Choose one or all of these questions and ask someone what they think. Right? None of them mention God. Just say, hey, I'm really interested. How would you answer this question? What am I missing in life? Hear their answer. They're probably going to ask, what do you think? Very easy then to say, you know what? This, someone, are you interested in finding out the answer to that question? Because at my church, they're doing this thing in February. And, yeah? It's designed for you to really make it so easy for you to just say, I'd love to know what you think. That sounds like an interesting answer. Or it sounds like you don't really have an answer. Hey, do you want to come along? Because they're exploring this at my church. I'm interested in the answer. Would you come with me? Do you see it? We're trying to make it easy for you in February. So this is just a preview. You'll hear more about it. All right, so look out for that. The point is, though, God loves, God gives, God saves. Let's really pray right now that God would help that augment our reality this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You didn't send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. These are really familiar verses, Father God. We, I really pray, we really pray and ask you to imprint that on the way we see this world, especially this Christmas, but right into the new year. To see the world as a world that you came to redeem and love and save and invite. Forgive us for when we have judged and seen people in reference to ourselves. Please help us instead to see them with the heart of the Father. And so we pray that you would save so many people through Christmas, not just our church, all the churches proclaiming Jesus, but also with our church as we think about how to reach people through the three big questions next February. Please use that. Use us to invite friends. Use us to invite them to come along and please work in them so that they might come to know the love of you, their Father. In Jesus' name, amen.